comic fam. Welcome to the Bags and Boards podcast. Number 52. Hit the like, slap the subscribe. And don't forget, we're available on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and iTunes. I'm at the table with a good friend. Reggie Collects. How you feeling, my brother? I am feeling good, brother. It is good to see you. Good to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. Dude, it's crazy because I've known you for so long, but we've met for the first time this week. We've spoken a lot, and I don't think people really realize how much we as content creators talk to one another behind the scenes. We do it a lot, but this is, again, the first time that we've had an opportunity to come together, and it's it's been fun. Yo, let's actually introduce the comic fam to you a little bit. Make sure to follow Reggie Collects. I'm always fascinated about talking with content creators, specifically artists and writers in the comic space about who they're fans of, you know, whether it be Donny Cates being a fan of Trad Moore. Now, Reggie, I watch your stuff. You know, I'm, I'm friends with Jem Min. I watch his stuff as well. Shout out Jem Min. Min. But specifically, you have a very unique show and you've been doing it even longer than I have. When did you start making content for the comic fam? No, brother, you were ahead of me. Was I ahead of you? You were ahead of I thought, me. Dude, I'm like 2019. Yeah, I think the order is you, Bueller, and then me. Bueller started like within two weeks of me. And I was right around that same time. No kidding. So what which propelled is, that? Which is crazy that we're all, we all started around the same time. All of us were West Coast guys. But what, what started me down this path, honestly, man, when I came back into the hobby at the end of 2017, the tw- beginning of 2018, I, I watched a lot of content on YouTube. Okay. And the guys that were on YouTube were having a lot of fun. What were some of those guys? Do you remember? So like Reaper Tate is okay. one of them. I just interviewed him the other day. No kidding. Yeah. We had never spoken before. I reached out to him and said, hey, do you want to come on, on the show? He's like, I watch your content all the time. Let's do it. So it was cool. So I, I connected with him. ETA Nick is another. ETA Nick is awesome, man. Luther Manning okay. is Luther. another. Jim Mint. Jim Mint, of course. So th- those are some of the guys that, that I watched early on. Like I used to have breakfast with Jim Mint every day. Oh, me too. I would sit there and have breakfast and I don't even collect statues, but I liked Jim's presentation. I like how he carried himself and I like how he spoke about comics and statues. Old Jim Mint was a lot of fun. Like he's, he's extremely fun now. He's super professional. He got so good. But back in the day, it was you know, just him being, he's, it's him now too, but you know, it was, it's a little different, yep. you know, cause the community was just forming then. And when I introduced fire guy, Ryan, Russ bright to the comic fam, before we started making a show, I actually took some of those channels. Some of you just mentioned gem mint variant, shout out Eris and Tim. And I showed them the content that they were making. And I said, look, if we can do to like this quality of production, like gem mint's doing, we're going to serve our community. We're going to give them something special. Let's see what we can put out. But really, it was the community that inspired us to hit the mic in the first place. I think it's interesting. It's the same for you. It is. And I mean, what's interesting, though, about what you just said is that you were much more purposeful in your approach to this. Right. I started doing it simply because I didn't have a lot of friends in my personal life that were into comics. And so by creating the the channel it allowed me to touch other collectors out there that were passionate about the hobby the way that I was. So it was like creating virtual friends for myself. And that was my purpose was to have some fun and to reach some people, which was cool. And then over time it evolved into some other things, you know? Well, let's talk about some of those other things because I think I could be wrong, but I believe our channels are the only ones that CGC routinely works with. I believe you are correct in that. 
you know, because I covered C2E2 for them. We've done some content and you've actually visited their location and, and seen the inside. So we may be some of the only people in the comic space who have actually seen behind the curtain. Yeah. And it, it's awesome behind the curtain. I'll be honest with you. It gives you a level of respect that other people, it's impossible to communicate or articulate. I, I think there's a couple of things. It, it gives you appreciation for what they do and what they offer. But it's also, to some degree, a recognition of what we do as well. Sure. The acknowledgement of me by them made me feel wonderful. Oh, definitely. The fact that they knew who I was, the fact that they were interested in working with me, the fact that they wanted me to come down and interview Chris Claremont, that was an amazing experience. I mean, how often do you get an opportunity to sit down with one of the people that you grew up reading and spend an entire day with him? You know, absolutely. You know, I've also interviewed Chris Claremont as well. And a little different of experience, it sounds like, that I had with him. Uh, <laughs> some of the, the the members who followed us this long have probably heard that story. But yeah, you know, it was an, a great experience for me to to meet not just like the heads of CGC, but the employees, those who put the time into it and, and make the whole operation work. Because, you know, this is a small channel. We have small channels. I mean, Gem Min is, is quite large compared to us. And their employees watch our stuff. Yes. And, and they're fans of our stuff. And that, at the time that I was introduced to that, it was a, a very memorable and humbling feeling because I realized I'm serving the industry as well um, in, in, in my own way. And giving these employees that we rely on something to enjoy. Yeah. I don't think that I was fully prepared for the fact that there were people there that actually knew me. No, I wasn't prepared. I was not prepared for that. I'm walking down the hall and someone was like, I know that voice. And then I would hear somebody yell, Reggie collects down the hall. I mean, that that's cool. And you meet these people and it goes from being a company to being people connecting with other people over comics. And, and that's a wonderful thing, man. I mean, in addition to that, I had an opportunity to meet the leadership of CGC. Uh, the, the owner of CGC actually brought out some really awesome uh, paper money and coin money. Yeah, because they grade all that kind of stuff there, too. And that was an amazing experience for me. That was like a little treat for me to hold. I think it was like a $3 million coin. Crazy. Like, I didn't even know such a thing existed. I was there to, to do the comic thing, but walked away with an incredibly valuable experience that I'll remember for a very long time. So let's take it back just a little bit. When did it start feeling different for you? I know when I posted our first trending video, that's when I felt like, oh, there's a spot for me in the entertainment side of comic book collecting, investing, speculating, that, that whole field that a lot of us enjoy. Mm -hmm. um, when was it for you? When did I make that transition to being like, this is something that I really want to commit to? Um, when did it start becoming real? Like, oh, wait a minute. There's something, there's a spot for me. Was it a video? Was it a person? I don't know if it was a video. I, I think the turning point for me may have occurred when people started leaving comments about how I helped them. Yes. And how they benefited from hearing my perspective. Isn't that an interesting thing? I, I we. We both get that a lot. I mean, the members can see in the comment section, there's a added level of excitement when you know that indirectly you did something for someone and they had some comeuppance, maybe secured something, maybe got to a point they never believed they'd get to. 
that is what drives me so much. I get asked all the time, especially with like people in my circle, friends in my circle who are not in the comic space, like you work too much, yo. Yeah. You need to take some time off. Yeah. You know, why don't you take some vacation? And you hear those things. I know you're probably the same way. For me, I can't stop. Yeah. It's it's like, oh, well, that's why the videos are being seen. That's why the community's happy is because I'm not stopping. So it actually pushes me to work harder yeah. when I'm being told those types of things. It's when people tell you how you've helped them acquire something, uh, when you've saved them money, when you've put them ahead of the curve on something, but it's also when you've helped them through a tough time. Yes. I've had a lot of those videos and, and comments from people where they've been going through some really difficult personal things in their life. Isn't it interesting just how often comic books are the reason why someone is fighting sadness and it's it's their answer to to combating that or the get out of jail free card hey i was able to use my comics and fix this part of my life it's yeah. my car it's my health it's something you know it's the catalyst for so much the escapism that comes with comics i think is wonderful right and the ability to your point also to turn a physical thing into some cash money that helps you to get out of a tight bind but it's you know the these these emails these dms that people send that that help you to take what you're doing every single day and view it a different way it's like a sense of purpose almost it is and it's a motivator right when 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 you're actually helping people that is a wonderful feeling you know, and it's like, there's a lot of other benefits. I mean, let's be completely honest. I, I personally think that I'm living my best life right now. Yeah, same here. There, there are some things that I do right now that are incredible that I never envisioned that I would actually do. My name is on a comic, for example. I never envisioned that. This is my best life and I am having fun. And what comes along with that is I actually help other people as well. It is it is a win-win type of situation that, again, when I first came into this, I don't know that I appreciated that. But over time, I'm like, wow, I, I may actually help people. And and I think that that's when it started to make that transition for me from this. This is something I'm just doing for fun to something that I'm doing with a purpose that is greater than just fun. Why don't we talk about now some of the things that aren't fun? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. All right. So, <laughs> you know, every interview that I've done outside of this studio it, it comes around to some type of commentary about what do I do about all of the hate, the the frustrated fans, the, those who don't consider themselves fans, those who are mad that we're doing anything at all. I know you get the same thing. Um, my stance on that kind of thing is I'm literally too busy to let it affect me. Yeah. So it doesn't affect me. It did early on when we were smaller and you're working really hard. You put all that time, hours yeah. into the completion of something. You know, this is our style of painting. I'm not an artist. Do you? I have art? no creative abilities. Same here. You know, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm practicing writing, you know, because I'm just, I'm not as talented as any, you know, some people can just like whip something out, yeah. you know, they can draw something. I can't do it. But um, this is the kind of effort you have to put into it, that dedication, doing it over and over and over again, and then still not being happy with it, cringing at yourself when watching it again, redoing takes, audio didn't work, lighting was bad, the camera's blurred. There's so many things that go wrong and you, you work hard and get that thing right. And then there's naysayers. There's people who are, you know. That poop on what you just spent hours doing. So, so you tell me how you handle that kind of stuff. You know, I think early on it was tough. 
Was it tough for you? It was. It was tough because, you know, I have this thing where I don't like public embarrassment. Oh, okay. So if there's something that happens publicly that embarrasses me, I really struggle with that kind of stuff. Right. So early on, I think I struggle with the negative feedback, you know, and I had to ask myself, how do I want to handle this? Because you, you've all seen out there the 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 public debate, the back and forth, the, the angry content creator that's battling with the person that's commenting. And, and at the end of the day, neither one looks good. But when somebody punches you, you kind of want to punch back. Right. So early on, I had to decide, how do I want to handle the negativity? And uh, I, I chose not to meet force with force, you know, Smart. to to kind of um, take what they said, take the good with the bad, because I think that there's sometimes some good stuff in there. So like early on, I got criticism for, you know, we can't hear you or we can't see you or your thumbnail is ugly or your title. It doesn't make sense. Right. So when they would say some of those things, I would hear it. It would hurt. But. With what they were saying, there was actually some constructive criticism in that that allowed me to get a little bit better, right? Somebody said, I, I, I like your content, but I can never find what content is yours because your thumbnail changes every time. And I'm like, well, forget you. But then I realized what they were saying was that you need to develop a look for your thumbnail that is unique to you that allows anybody that is looking for your content to recognize your content, right? So there there is some good that comes with some of that. But Early on, it was hurtful. I, ne I never reached a point where I thought about giving up. I don't know that I ever let it, let it affect me like that. But there were moments where I was not very happy with what people were saying. See, I found that a little surprising. You're, you're a man of confidence. Um, comment fam, Reggie is exactly the same as you would expect him to be. You watch his videos. He, he, he carries himself very well. And with your background... As a bodybuilder, maybe we can talk a little bit about that. Oh, Hearing that oh. type of constructive criticism, maybe negativity, I'm surprised that that would affect you with you coming from the stage and putting yourself on full display. Yeah, but, but there's a certain kind of vulnerability that comes with all of this stuff, right? When you are creating something and you are putting it out there in the public domain, you are, you are making yourself vulnerable. True. And it takes time to build up the fortitude to be confident in what you're doing, to be okay with people that don't necessarily see your point of view. When it came to stepping on stage as a, as a bodybuilder, because I was an IFBB pro and technically still am, but, but definitely retired, International Federation of Bodybuilding. And it's the same federation that Lou Ferrigno is part of and Arnold Schwarzenegger and a lot of the big Lee Haney out there. Um, when you step on that stage, my, my thought of being on the stage was always to never have regrets to never think about the workout that I didn't do or the meal that I didn't eat, right? So it was always like, let me do everything that I can do to step out on stage and I will present the best possible package that I can. Maybe today will be my day when it comes to the judge. Maybe it won't, but I'm going to be proud of what I do, right? So you're, you're making yourself vulnerable, but you've done everything that you can do, you know? And I think, you know, if the judges started throwing tomatoes, I think that would hurt versus like when you... When my first show I did, it was an amateur. I, I came in fourth place out of four. I was four out of four. <laughs> How long ago? Um, so I was a amateur for a total of three years. I did three shows a year for three years. Oh, wow. So, and then I became a, a pro 
uh, in, I think it was my 10th show on stage. So a season is essentially an entire year, you know, um, but it was in that, that fourth year that I became a pro. And I think my last show was in 2016. Okay. And I actually won a pro show the last year that I actually competed. Oh, so that, cool. that, that was pretty cool. Right. Uh, we, Leave on a high note. We ended on a high note. Yeah. And what happened was my wife looked at me and she's like, you know, the second baby's coming. I think you're done with this. And I was like, I think you're right. You, you know, because, you know, if you're going to have kids, you have to invest time and energy in kids. But when you're, when you're a bodybuilder, it's about my food, my workout, my water, my this, it's my like routine. That. It makes you a selfish person. And if you have kids, if you're going to do it right, right, then you can't necessarily be selfish. It has to be about the family. It has to be about the kids. And so my wife is like, I think you're done. I'm like, yeah, I think you're right. Because it was a hobby. Bodybuilding was a hobby for me. It's always been something on the side of the actual career. And it was, it was wonderful for me, but I've taken all of that energy from competing and working out and stuff like that. And I've channeled it into comics. And so I made that transition, like I said, at the end of 17, the beginning of 18 into comics, making the, the pivot from, from uh, bodybuilding. No kidding. So were you into comics throughout that entire time, was that part of your life? Just not, not at the all. Prior, priority? So you got into comics at that point. So so I was a collector back in the 90s. Uh, yeah, tell me about how you got into comics. Yes, yeah. so I collected comics heavily back in the 90s, and I was junior high, high school. Okay. That was my thing, you know. Uh, it was when, um, you know, Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane and all those guys were doing stuff for for Marvel Comics. I was big into that, and I used to work at, at rallies, and I used to work at Taco Bell, and I would take my little $125 check or whatever, and I would go to the comic shop. I would ride my bike to the comic shop uh, in Ferndale, Michigan. And I would buy my comics and I would ride my bike home and I would go into my uh, bedroom in the basement and I would read comics. And I was, I'm, I'm an introverted person, right? So, um, you know, but, but comics were my form of escapism when I was younger and I collected until I discovered girls and I was like, Ooh, girls and comics don't necessarily go together. So I abandoned that. And I wasn't, I didn't collect again until 2005, 2006 for a very brief period of time. And then I was out of comics again until 2017, 2018. Oh, wow. So you were just getting back into a hobby that you left and then realized to meet new individuals, to expand your network, you should start a YouTube channel. Yeah. And that's what started it all. Brother, I, one of my first videos, I mispronounce uh, Galactus's name. The Silver Surfer here and uh, Galacticus in the background there. Galacticus. It happens. I had never said Galactus's name out loud until I recorded the video. And in the comment section, people let me know that I pronounced it wrong. And it, and it hurt. It hurt my feelings. Yeah. And then I realized, okay, well, whatever I said in that video was not the correct pronunciation. So let me figure it out, right? So again, even in the negativity, I found the positive, right? To figure out how to pronounce names and to be prepared to announce or pronounce them correctly on the microphone. And, uh, but yeah, I was, I was out of the hobby for a long period of time, came back into it and I, I wanted to have some fun. I wanted to be part of something and started creating videos. 50 people would watch those early videos. And um, as more people watched it, it motivated me to put out more content. Comic fam, we're gonna get right back to this video, but not before I tell you about the new sponsor of our show, Whatnot, the best new place to buy and sell 
comic books. Download the app available for both Androids and iPhones. Support the show. Hit the link in the description and get access to be able to attend auctions that are happening 24-7. Every single Wednesday, I'm bringing my homies for a seven-hour power hour of $1 star auctions that are 60 seconds long. Join us on Wednesdays. Support so many different members beyond ourselves. And let's get back to the video. You have some interesting ways of doing content. Some of the first things I noticed was a very, like, first off, you have a great radio voice. I'm sure you've heard that before. It's very distinct. You even mentioned it while you were here that you couldn't get away with ever like covering the screen and doing something separate because people would recognize your voice. Yeah. You know, you can't hide that. And I think it's an appropriate comparison because you seemingly do a lot of things in one full take. Yeah. Like a radio personality does. You know, you're going to intro the video. You have a, a, a thought that you want to get out. And sometimes there's a little bit of improv and then things kind of ebb and flow. There's a little bit of riffing in, from the, the community chat, but you'll end when it feels like it's done. Yeah. It, and and you've gotten really good at that. Thank and you. was that all because of the ease of filming at first and then realizing, you know what, this is your way of being able to do it so you can consistently get an output? Because what you've done from what it appears as a fan is you've really honed in on being able to present, especially in short bursts, communicate your idea. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot at play. There's a lot at play. So I was a communication major in college. Oh, okay. And I've been a published writer since I was 16 years of age. And you're in sales, right? And I'm in sales and marketing. Sales yeah. and marketing. So my very first article actually came out in the De Detroit Free Press at ah. 16, right? So I cool. left I left my rally job, came home. A photographer was there, took a photo of me in my rally uniform, right? Uh, but But I went to college at Howard University and I studied communication, right? So a published writer, I know how to write. I go to college. I study communication, right? And then uh, fast forward lots of years, uh, I end up getting into the pharmaceutical industry. And as a sales rep calling on doctors, all I do is create conversations. And if you're going to have a conversation with a doctor, you need to very quickly be able to communicate what you need to communicate with that doctor before he or she walks away. And it has to be substantive and it has to capture their attention because you don't know how long you're going to hold, hold it. So uh, when I, you know, later in life, I went on into marketing and as a marketer, I had to stand on stage in front of hundreds of people and those people were sales reps. So if you're going to talk to a sales rep who has to talk to a doctor, you have to stand up there with some confidence and right. deliver messages. And I've stood in, in, in front of crowds as big as 500 people and Again, I'm an introverted guy, but my job is about communication. So I've taken a lot of the skills that I had naturally as a writer that I honed at Howard, that I honed years and years of talking to doctors, and I roll it into my videos. I turn on the camera, I sit down, I say some things, and I try to communicate as efficiently as possible whatever message I'm trying to deliver and do it in an entertaining way. That that's I call it infotainment. It's like the merger of entertainment and information. And I try to give it to people. And when I feel like I've hit the point, the video ends. Would you say that the book that you wrote, Reggie Collects Presents Guide to Smart Comic Collecting, is like an amalgamation 
of the goals you put in place for yourself on YouTube? Is that what you're trying to do is to serve your community to kind of build smarter comic collectors? I think there's a couple of things at play there as well, right? So the the guide is really, uh, it's an amalgamation to your point of years of video content combined with Doug Bratton's blog post. And we rolled it together, we enhanced it, and we put it together in the guide. But the creation of the guide itself is in furtherance of the goals that I've set for myself in comics, right? So I originally started this as like a way to have fun, a way to collect, connect with the comic book community, but it's evolved into me being able to do some really cool things that I never envisioned. And if you think about it, my foundation was as a writer, I've basically come full circle and I'm back to writing books that it's funny ha- how that works, right? That that help people, that communicate information, that uh, answer questions that people may have. And and to your point, I believe that a more informed member of this community will be able to allow this community to sustain itself into the future. Completely agree. So the uh, the goal is to make people smarter about the hobby so that they can make better decisions about the hobby and be in the hobby long term. That's what's going to make the hobby thrive long term. Versus coming in, getting burned, catching a brick, and then leaving. Like, that doesn't help any of us. It's very true. Considering that a lot of your content focuses on buying and selling tips and, and collecting tips... Let's move into chatting about maybe some things you've learned over the last few years while you've been growing this part of your collecting analysis. Like what what is it about comics that you have like the biggest takeaways and where do you see it going in the future? That that's a that's a complicated question, I will tell you that. Um I, I don't know what my biggest takeaway might be. I mean, it, it might be the fact that comics have a certain power to them that I don't know that I fully appreciated before, right? The, the, for me, comics have always been a form of escapism and that was how I connected with comics. I think what I've realized is that comics are also a form of escapism for other people as well. But in addition to that, comics have helped people to learn how to read. And I don't know that I appreciated that aspect of it. You know, comics have helped people like some of the content that we create to get through really tough times. Again, these are like epiphanies that I've had over the years of interacting with people and being part of this community. I don't know that I fully appreciated just how impactful comics were and are to people. I was always surprised just how much community building is involved with with comic books, comic collecting, and comic reading. There's a lot of introverted individuals. I myself consider myself an introvert. Um, I know Ryan does as well. Um, Same here. And so you, you do as well. Um, and there's an, that, that escapism that you describe, it's perfect for people like us. We can check out. We can experience something by ourselves, use our own imagination. Yep. But soon after, you'll find me in store surrounded by individuals talking about the latest Thor comic yeah. and the reveal and hey, did you catch up on this? Did you read this book? And then there's this sense of community. And I've seen individuals that I think in other spaces, other hobbies wouldn't be as likely to connect. But with comics, it's it's a lot easier. And I see that conventions the most. That's why it's kind of a shame that they've been 
gone for so long, but they're starting to come back. Going to conventions and seeing it instantly when you meet someone and they skip the, ch- the, the small talk and go right to, oh, I want to tell you about this book I got. You've never met them in person, yeah. but no, I got this book. I wanted your opinion on this book. You know, look at this. What do you, what would you grade this at? And it, it, they, they go right past introduction and it's unique in a sense because some members of the community are fans of the show yeah, and others don't care about the fandom. They want to go right to, yo, you're into comics too. Let's just get to the hunt together, you know? It's a wonderful thing, man. I mean, it, it's like instant friends. It really it? is instant friends. And I found that, again, I don't know that I fully appreciated that. Like when you run into people and they already know a lot about you. They already know some of the stories and they say things to you. And you're like, ooh, ooh, did I talk about that publicly? Like, how do you know that? You know, it, it's interesting. But but it's also really wonderful because if you think about it, so many introverted people are not great at making friends. We don't have to worry about that now. Yeah, the, the hard part's done. We have thousands of friends. Anywhere we go to a con or whatever, wherever people are that know about collectibles, we already have friends there. And when, and when you say we, you don't mean just you and me. You mean... The community themselves, they have friends, not Literally. just in us, but one of, to your point about the idea of, of community, one of the great things that I pride myself on with my channel, and it's probably the same way with your channel, is that people have become friends as a result of the channel. Oh, absolutely. The live streams that I do, they show up 20, 30 minutes before the live stream to talk to one another. There are people that talk on the phone that have met in chats. We have Discord. They talk to each other in Discord. They send each other AOKs. Like we have a, a Christmas Gibbon exchange that we do every single year. That's not me. I didn't organize that. That is the subscribers of the channel that organize this thing. To me, I did GarageCon. GarageCon is my event where I literally have people at my house. We are in my garage and it's a con. It, it is exactly what the name implies. Yeah, right? a bunch of people there. I had a bunch of, we had a lot of people. And, and what's cool is I stand to the side and I watch them talk to each other. Oh, you're so-and-so. I didn't know that you're, oh, you're that. It's amazing to see them come together, never met each other, but they know each other because of the screen names. They know each other because of the chats and they just have these amazing conversations. It's fun to watch. So with this growing community, because I think right now we are in a, some would describe it as a bubble. You know, there's a lot of individuals think that we may actually be headed into dangerous waters here with how much the community has grown, how much comic collectibles are going up in price. And I, I'm not of that opinion. I think there's aspects that, that may change and that, that may get uh, go into a decline to a certain degree, but by and large, I think we're in a re- going in a really good direction. Where do you think uh, the collectible hobby is going to go in the future, regardless of, let's say, a recession or um, some type of decrease in interest? Yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard to know that. You know, the one thing that I always try to remind people of is that you can't predict a bubble. It's true. Economists out there will tell you, you cannot predict a bubble. You can see some signs of some things, but, but bubbles can only be seen in hindsight. True. It is through evaluation of what has occurred that you realize, right? Are there signs out there that people should be paying attention to? Yes. 
Should people be concerned? Well, you should always be concerned if you're spending your money, right? You should always think about what it is that you're doing. Um, but I, I too do not believe that we are headed towards a bubble. At least I, I hope not. And, and people always think about the nineties. This is not the nineties. No, this is completely different. The fundamentals are very different. What does the future hold? I don't know. My hope is that people are being smart about the things that they're doing today. They're thinking about how much they're spending for collectibles. They're thinking about uh, how they're investing their cash. They're hopefully not overextending themselves because I think that when the fundamentals are bad, I think that that creates for a future that does not look promising. But if people are thinking about how they're spending their money and they're being smart today, my hope is that tomorrow will kind of take care of itself. You know, at least that's my belief. But there's also a ton of new people that are coming into the hobby. That is my feeling that there's a lot of folks that haven't touched comics in 20, 30, 40 years that are finding their way back to the hobby. And that to me is energizing because it's not the same people in the same money just churning. There's new money. There's new people. The MCU, the Disney Plus streaming stuff, right? That is pulling people into the hobby. And I think it's wonderful. So my hope is that things continue to grow, not in terms of prices, but in terms of the strength of the community that supports all of the stuff that we do. Gibbon Gang. Stand up. It's on the books. Um, I bought a Mexican edition of the Gibbons' first appearance to be part of the Gibbon Gang. Um, I'm hoping you can kind of go over what that is, how that came about, and why it's still around in a, in a thing. <laughs> the Gibbon Gang is hard to to explain. But ASM, I, I, why don't we start there? It, it, the Gibbon. It, the Gibbons' first appearance was Amazing Spider-Man issue number one ten, and as a ad lib in a in a live stream, I said, "What's a Gibbon anyway?" Right? Because it's Marvel's next superstar, I think is what it says across the bottom of ASM 110. And uh, people started sending me messages. Here's what a gibbon is. Like literally animal pages describing what gibbons are as not lesser monkeys and lesser apes. Like it was fascinating. I'm like, it was just a throwaway comment, right? But it became a thing. I, I would have technical glitches with my internet. You know, as a content creator, you you live stream, you have issues. Uh, a light wouldn't work. The internet wouldn't work. It was the Gibbon. The Gibbon was behind it. So the, the, so the people that were in the chat started to blame everything on the Gibbon. It just became a running joke. And I tried to stay away from it. I tried not to embrace it because as a marketer, you want to be purposeful in the things that you do. And this was an accidental thing that it took on a life of its own. When I was covering I was, I was deep in the trending videos, like getting that rolling. That's what the community wanted. It takes a lot of time. You got a taste of it being on the show recently, but it takes sometimes hours to just cover one book accurately because I don't want to steer anyone wrong. I probably overdo it too much. I probably should speak less. I probably should get to the point more, but I start getting creative. I want to do jokes. I want to, as you say, infotainment and we have to watch a lot of books. I'll be regularly talking to Nick Colonies from Key Collector Comics. We're reviewing books, seeing what makes the list. And and this is actually even before we were doing lists together. So it was actually uh, more of a process for me because I was still learning it and having to do this without a lot of assistance and tools yeah. at the time. 
And I remember seeing so many copies of this damn book selling. <laughs> What's with this? And I remember even looking up to see, is there some type of spec behind the gibbon? Nope. But no. And I, and I figured it out quick because all I had to do was YouTube the gibbon, you know, and, and, and organize it based off of recently posts. And I, I'm like, oh, okay, this is a Reggie thing. Yeah. I don't really get it, but I want to be part of it. But, yo, you push the needle yeah. on the gibbon. I think there are more individuals who own that comic book. Comment down below. Let me know, comic fam, if you own a copy of Gibbon's first appearance because of this guy here. But y- you made it that kind of relevant. I, w- I was not ready for that. At one point, we spiked it 300%. And, 300, that, yeah. and that became, that was, right. that was scary to me, right? Because it wasn't on purpose. Like we were just having fun. Sure. We were having fun riffing. And like I said, it became this, this secret language of the channel, right? And, and I think people wanted to be a part of it. So they went out and they bought copies of ASM 110 to be part of the Gibbon Gang. And, and, it, and again, it became a really just fun thing. But the consequence of that was a 300% spike in, um, in the value, uh, which uh, that scared me. It honestly scared me a little bit because I don't know that I fully appreciated how the microphone in front of me could have real world consequences. So you asked this question earlier about like the turning point for me. That was a turning point. I've had several, but that was a turning point where I realized the impact that I could have on the market. And it, it caused me to be much more purposeful in the things that I was saying and how I operated so as to not steer somebody wrong. Yeah, that was the one of the early realizations that I had is if we show the wrong book by mistake, we speak about a book wrong, we talk about it wrong, and someone goes out and spends $300, $400, $500. Sky's the limit with some of the stuff. You know, if I don't communicate my opinion when I, when it's really needed, you know, sometimes it's not, sometimes we're just communicating information, you know, you, you do what you want with it. I don't collect every book. Yeah. So to a collector, to each their own, there's reasons why someone will spend a lot of money on a book that I won't. Cause there's a lot of books that I'll spend a lot of money on that other people want. Right. And I, I, I have, uh, tried to compare that to my, my Hellboy interests. There's a lot of Hellboy collectors that members know that have YouTube content and the, between my circle of Hellboy collectors, they'll send me something that they got and they're excited about it. I know why they spent $250 on this little yeah. insert. Yeah. Whereas if I were to publicly say, this is an insert I paid $200 for, people lose. Why, why would, would you, you do that? That yeah. makes no sense. You could have bought a Secret Wars 8. Why wouldn't you buy that? And it's like, because I don't want a Secret Because Wars that's 8. your jam. Hell, if Hellboy's your jam or Buffy or whatever it is your jam, go for it. That's one of the cool things about this hobby. But you touched on something really important. There is a difference between the communication of information and sharing your personal opinions. Right. Those are not necessarily the same thing. And I think, I don't know that people fully appreciate how we do a little bit of both. Sometimes it's like, here's what just happened. That's it. Other times it's a little bit more of like the punditry of here's what happened and here's my perspective of that. But again, that's another learning lesson that I've had over the years is to try to draw draw that line between those things of here's some information that you should be aware of and here are my actual thoughts about this thing that has occurred. Speculating and investing. Let's talk about that. What are your thoughts on speculating? Do you speculate? What are some things that you're speculating on if you don't want to, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, I, I think that uh, as a 
reader and a collector because I am both. I am also an investor and a speculator, right? There, there are books that I speculate on, like right now, a lot of Sandman stuff. Good for you. A lot of Sandman stuff, a lot of uh, Star Wars stuff, a lot of it. Like I just did a CGC unboxing that I filmed of mostly Star Wars stuff. And you're not even a Star Wars guy, right? I'm a Star Trek guy See, all day. Dude, pound it across the table, pound it. Because <laughs> I'm a Trekkie as well, man. I grew up in a, in, a, in a home where my dad had a cutout of Sir Patrick Stewart in the kitchen. Yep. You know, and it would scare people upon entry. And I'm number like, that's one. just, you know, yeah. number one. I mean, th- that's his line. Captain it's, Picard. Yeah, number one is, is his whole line. Make uh, it so. Yeah. Um, I am a big Star Trek fan, but I, I speculate on the Sandman stuff because of the Netflix series. I speculate on the Star Wars stuff because of what's happening with Disney Plus and Boba Fett and the Mandalorian and all that kind of stuff. But I do it in order to fuel some of the other books that I actually want to acquire. So I'm very big on Marvel Silver Age. That's my sweet spot. Marvel Silver Age books. I absolutely love it. Are the books behind you, like on your set, PC books? Because I know you have a lot of blue chip keys. Those are all PC books, right? And so right behind me, you oftentimes, as of right now, we'll see like ASM1, AF15. um, You'll see Fantastic Four, one. Uh, Hulk one was the most recent acquisition. And I'm going to be announcing my new focus very soon on on my channel. Can get a hint? uh, No, no. It's Silver Age. Let's put it that way. Silver Age. I like it. Um, but, But I speculate on some of these things that are not in my wheelhouse in order to fund some of the other things that are, but there are a lot of Sandman fans out there. There are a lot of fans of, um, of star Wars that will benefit from me finding these books in the 100 K collection, getting them graded and then putting them out there for people to, to be able to pick up, you know, same thing with turtles. I, I spec on turtles as well. I have a couple of people that are huge turtle fans. And whenever I put something up, they typically buy most of the turtle stuff. But I do it to put me in a position to be able to buy some of the stuff that I really enjoy. There you go. Having the the hobby fund itself. Exactly. Which is a huge thing because comics are really expensive right now, you know, and I can't take money away from my family to do it. And so I found a way to make it all work between the YouTube stuff and the Patreon stuff. And then, you know, the speculation that I do on the side, but I'm a big believer that the hobby needs all types of people in it. Cover hunters, speculators, investors, readers, collectors. It it needs them all in order to be, in my opinion, a, a well-functioning hobby. So we made an exclusive on your book, uh, mail call exclusive. I made a couple of them. Want to support you. Um, also introduce the community to the great work that you're doing. It's considered a variant, an alt cover. There's a probably a growing amount of individuals. It's probably started out small, but as Marvel and DC and then now Boom are starting to get a little more excited about the traction variant comics get, they're starting to produce a lot of them. And I would say it's amped up in the last few years, uh, especially with store exclusives happening. Yep. Um, some members think that it's a really bad thing. What, what's your thoughts on variant comic books? Yeah, I think it's okay for people to have those opinions. Again, you, of course you, it's okay for them, but you, what do you think about you it? You can't say that diversity is important and not give a latitude to those people that don't necessarily agree with your point of view. I personally see the benefits of variants, right? 
I have my own variant. I've actually had a couple. Yep. Which is really great because it's allowed me to buy some really cool books for my collection. You know, I, I think that variants are helpful and necessary in a lot of different ways. There are a lot of shops that make a lot of money off of producing variants that allow them to keep the doors open and to keep people employed. The publishers benefit from the variants, right? The multiple covers that get created, they benefit from that. The artists, artists are creating variants of their own comic, selling it in their own store. They're benefiting from that, right? Is there some bad that comes with the good? Absolutely. But I am the type of person that chooses to look at the the good while at the same time acknowledging the negatives that kind of come with some of it. And I get people's frustration around it. If it frustrates you, you're not into it, don't do it. It's pretty simple. There's always something to collect. Always something. And that's the great thing about the hobby. I don't even like Hellboy. You like Hellboy. Great. Support Mike Mignola and all this, the Hellboy covers that he does. I'm more into Silver Age spandex. I love superheroes. That's that's my jam. But I also love horror as well, you know? So it's like, again, I think that the hobby needs diversity, diverse types of people, diverse interests, diverse opinions, because I think that that's all healthy stuff. What would you say you dislike about the hobby? Oh, man, the prices. <laughs> Besides the prices. You, know, you can't control the prices. It's part of the market. But, I, like, but like, is there anything about comics that you're like, you know, I wish this would change? Yeah, the, the prices are just part of it, man. I mean, turnaround times right now for grading is, is brutal. You know, I wish turnaround times were better because, like, for example, I have a video. I, I had a book that I sent in. It was worth a lot of money when I sent it. It's now, crazy how much money it's costing us for these turnaround times. man. Now, now that the book is back, there's not so much profit there, you know? So I may be stuck with a really nice 9.8 that I'm not really interested in, but it is par for the course. Um, You know, besides the prices and turnaround times, I I don't know if there's something that I dislike about the hobby. Because again, I'm the type of person that if something isn't my jam, I kind of ignore it. You know, I I would say one thing that I'm, I'm struggling with a little bit, and this goes back to the health of the hobby, is the direct connection between what happens in the movies and the TV shows and something getting optioned to the value of comics, right? Again, good and bad, that comes with it, right? But it's it's an interesting thing to have happen. Something gets optioned and now all of a sudden it's crazy money. That's both good and bad. You know, and the question is like, why? Why is that? Why is that the case? It, is it is it just now a part of the hobby that we just have to embrace and and learn to live with? Yeah, I, I think it is. I think it is. And we mentioned the '90s at one point, and I think the biggest difference between what was happening then and now it's both for the same reason. It's investments, speculating. We people from the '90s saw comics become worth something, and they missed that boat. Now. They have an opportunity to get in on Turok number one. Oh, hell yeah. Jim Lee on X-Men. Got to get that. A lot of them. Yeah. Right. But the problem was back then, by and large, individuals were not comic affluent. Yes. We know uh, friends of ours in in our group. Shout out uh, Silver Age Comics out in New York. Uh, My homie would would tell me, yeah, I remember employees on the street holding Turoks, selling them to passerbys. You know, like it was a damn newspaper from from the 80s or the 70s, right? You know, like a, like a paper boy or something. So now with things like this, like your, your smart guide to comic collecting, a, a plethora of content, there's really no excuse. 
You know, we used to not be able to tell individuals about how to press books because you could get kind of shunned in the community for sharing inside secrets. Dirty. Now it's it's open and yeah. it's encouraged because you can't control that. Yeah. And it's good. And I, I've always been a fan of, you know, full transparency. Let's, let's let, let people know. But I think the difference is between then and now is that we have a growing community of people who, who get it. They understand it. They can assess the shows and go, this wasn't that good. Yeah. So I'm not going to put money into this. Or on the flip side, this was so good. I don't care what they have to say because I see why the fandom respects this so much. I'm going to buy this comic. And that's when the option stuff happens and you go, you know what? It's optioned. I do want to put money towards it. It's impossible to spec on everything. If you're specking out a lot of stuff and, and, and you don't, you're not putting all your money into it, well, you're doing a lot of small specking. If you spec on one thing, you go all in. Well, yeah, it's a big spec, but why would you someone do that unless they were really confident about it? And I think there's more confidence in the community, which is why we see the needles, you know, turn or, you know, needle change so much drastically. Um, and that confidence, it gives me optimism that individuals, even if they're going to fail, which we all have, I've sold books way too soon. I have, I have hundreds of thousands of dollars have missed out on for sure. But when you add it all up, you know, whether it's selling Hulk 181 too soon, selling Miles Morales too soon. Like I did all those things, you know, it's something that gives me confidence in the community that, you know, it's not a bad thing to see these books spike. What it means is that there is a fandom there that believes in that title, that story. Yeah. So I had somebody once upon a time tell me I was going to regret giving secrets away in my videos. Had somebody oh, basically yeah. tell me that. And and um, this was early on. This was an early on like criticism. You're going to regret telling people. Like it's going to hurt you and your comic grind. Yeah, yeah. And, to and, some way. and I've never had a regret. Same I, here. I've never had never. a regret about a video that I created that actually helped someone. You know what I'm saying? Like it's a, it's a selfish mindset to want to hoard information, right? I share the information. And my hope is that by sharing the information, it's going to help somebody, right? And it may come back around and help me in some crazy way, you know? Um, but I, I think one of the things that people have to remember is that speculators are not this group that exists out there in the universe in isolation. Oftentimes, the people that are readers and collectors are also speculators. There is a lot of overlap that exists. So we can't talk about speculators as if they were, you know, some dirty thing. I'm, I'm a speculator. Same here. But I, but I speculate in a smart way on things that I'm kind of interested in or passionate about, not just random stuff. You know what I'm saying? Because to your point, you can't do it all. But, but I, I do it in order to fuel other things that I'm doing in the hobby. And, and that's why it all kind of works for me. And the fact that it's within the hobby. Yeah. That, that's how you know that it's fueling other parts, that it's actually helping other parts, getting you to contribute, putting money back into it. Uh, there's a lot of individuals who start by just reading graphic novels yeah. because that's what you can get at yeah. the local bookstore, right? And then it goes to get, wanting to get some comics every week or maybe you know picking them up every other week but learning that you have to do it regularly and then they add to that pull list and then, you know, oh, wow, one of these books, you know, it's like $15 and I paid $4 for it. And their bill at the comic shop is coming due and they, they got to pay for it. But what? they don't need this book. I mean, that's really how it starts. It's not slow. Yeah. It's 
there's always going to be individuals out there who's like, hey, I've got money and I want to buy stuff. I want to make money to each their own. Yeah. That's going to happen too. But I think by and large, because of how expensive this hobby is, yes. that it's kind of a natural thing to start to do multiple things, yes. to buy, sell, trade, collect. Yeah. And that personal collection, it evolves. It, it's it's all part of it. The things you just listed off, off are all part of the hobby, right? Right. And I think that that's one of the big differences between like the 90s and now. The 90s were just random people that had never been in a comic shop before going and think they were going to get rich on the death of Superman. You know, now it is us speculating on things that are happening in the movies, in the TV shows, with the comics that we're reading that we are interested in, in order to put money back into the hobby, you know? And it's like, I do things in this hobby um, and it all funds itself. The YouTube thing helps over here and selling comics helps over here. Like it all lends itself to something else. And and it's wonderful because it's all self-contained play money. I call it, you know? Absolutely. So what's coming? Reggie collects, you know, what are your, your goals? What ambitions do you have as far as your channel goes? You know, what are you, what are you onto right now? I want to beat Bueller. You want to beat Bueller? I want to physically. Beat so I think you can. I don't know. Bueller's taller than you, man. Yeah, it's Bueller. He's is, a tall man. Bueller is tall. I've never met him, but I've seen enough to know that he's on the taller side. You ever seen Jeepers Creepers, the movie? Yeah. You know how the, he he drives a bus that yeah. has weapons on it. Yeah. A lot of people. I mean, I think whatnot is going to be pretty surprised because they're investing in in you know because he's like he's a, they're a sponsor of, of of Bueller. I hope that's public. I don't know. Sorry, Bueller. And Bueller is adding multiple weapons, artillery on the bus. Because he's be driving around. He's got to protect his, his, the, his spinner rack. Is there a gun turret on there? Because I've always wanted a Hummer with the gun turret on it. I like military-inspired stuff, right? Uh, that's Have you cool. met Bueller in person? Never. Just on the phone? Yeah. Just chatting with him? Yeah. We, we talk a lot. I mean, not a lot, but we talk on, uh, on DMs. Uh, his daughter was actually, uh, she did a, a bikini competition and back when I was heavily into yeah, fitness, she was doing a lot of fitness stuff. I helped her kind of, you know, help got not guide her is probably the wrong word, but, but offered her advice that I thought would be helpful to her as she been through so much of that. Yeah. Cause I've been through it. I've stood on the stage, all oiled up and tanned and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of oil, man. Brother. I've seen the pictures. You were, you're a very fit gentleman. Brother, until you stand basically naked. You know, and have women rub oil on you. It you haven't lived. You haven't quite lived. <laughs> it's an interesting thing behind the scenes at a bodybuilding competition. We may have to talk about that next time. But uh, but Hit yeah, the subscribe button, comic fam, if you want to hear that. The stories here. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a much longer in depth kind of conversation. You're very shiny. Yeah, you are very shiny. But I also I also when I did the bodybuilding thing, we are off track. But I, we're gonna get back on track. Uh, I I said to to the person in my first show, I was like, "Do I need to get spray tan?" Like, I'm yeah, all, it shows the muscles, I'm, right? I'm That's like, like the whole thing. Got to show I'm, the depth of the muscles. But I'm like, I'm already brown. Do I need a spray tan? <laughs> and she was like, "You need a spray tan." I was like, "Okay, well, let's do it." You know. So these are learning lessons that you have as oh, a bodybuilder. You know, I wasn't ready for that. So, but um, I don't remember what the question. We was. We were talking about the bubes. Yeah. Yeah. Beat, beat Bueller. Beat Bueller. So you were asking me about my goals, right? Um, Bueller and I have a, a, a friendly competition. I, I want to, I, people want to interview me, but they interview me after Bueller. Sure. I, I don't care for that. 
he has more subscribers than me. I don't care for that. He's a really good interviewer, man. I know. But it's like- it's I, Fearless. I need to beat Bueller. Um, no, so so the, the goal, of course, is to continue growing the channel, not for the sake of growing it, but because I believe that there is something that I offer on the channel that I think the community can benefit from. So the goal is to, to continue reaching more people by driving sure. subscriber counts. Uh, we are working on some additional projects, print projects, uh, just because, again, I'm I'm a formerly print guy. And I think that by creating content from multiple mediums, you can reach more people. So, so YouTube is one. I also have a podcast, which reaches similar yet different type of people. The guides in print reach a different type of person. And so the goal is to continue putting out content across these different mediums to reach more and more people because I think that I have something to say that might help people out there. So we have a couple of projects that are on the horizon. There's at least three projects that I have planned for this year that I'm really excited about. Some will be seen much later, some more near term. That's as best as I can do for you in terms of what's coming. I love it. Comic fam, you, you got to subscribe to Reggie Collects on YouTube. And since we brought him up, Comics with Bueller, give him a subscribe too. Uh, we, we love the guy to death. And it's fun because when I started the YouTube stuff, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, and shout out Butch, he's here as well, bugging Reggie. Um, it was, it was a, a thing that just happened I wasn't expecting, which is to meet other individuals making content like myself. Mm -hmm who have such similar views on the community and just overall collecting. So I don't know that I fully appreciated just how awesome this community is, right? When I first came into it, but over the years, I've learned just how awesome the community actually is. When I received my first AOK, -okay, I thought it was the weirdest thing ever. Somebody reached out to me and they were like, I want to send you an AOK. -okay. And I was like, first, what is an AOK? -okay? Can you describe that? Because I don't think we've ever talked about AOKs on the mic here. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. So the, an AOK -okay is an act of kindness. Yeah, we call it comic karma here. Yes. It's like sending somebody something because, hey, we just want to send them some Just comics. because. Because you know that this person is interested in comics like you, but they, they may have an interest that is maybe different or similar, and you have something in your possession that you want to give to that person to say thank you or to say, you know what, I think you would enjoy this, so I right. want to give it to you because you'll appreciate it, whereas I won't. Right. So somebody reached out to me and they wanted to give me an A-OK, -okay, and I, I thought it was the weirdest thing ever. I don't, I didn't, I've never experienced that before. But over the years, I've learned that this is all part of the comic book community, and it is wonderful. Again, it is like having friends literally everywhere you go. And that's, again, it's not just me and you. It's other people out there. And it's just, it's a cool aspect of this hobby that I did not anticipate at first, but I've learned to really embrace. And um, we're generous, man. The collectors are generous. Very, very generous. And it's like, you can't be the type of person that just extracts value from something, Right. If you're getting some value out of something, you should also put something back in. And to some degree or another, the content, I, that's how I view my content. My content is what I am offering up to the community. And then I extract from it certain things, you know, certain tangible things. Sometimes it's just a motivational comment that somebody leaves for me. When I'm having a bad day, I read right. some of these comments and it motivates me to create more. But, but the comic book community is amazing and very generous to your point. 
Reggie, I appreciate you being here. We're going to do a giveaway today, Comic Fam. Comment, like, and subscribe. It'll enter you to win a Matt Damasi Spider-Man number one Todd McFarlane homage. We got some shattered comics in the house. Reggie, I appreciate you being here. It was a pleasure to meet you, and I'm excited to have you back on the show. Let's make it happen, brother. Anytime you let me know, and I'll be here. Want to hear from the community? Comment down below, and as always, geek responsibly. That was podcast number 52. I appreciate your time today, comic fam. Enough said.